Uh, we have a very special guest today. We have uh, our friend, uh, our dear friend, who is a uh, staffer over at the United Farm Workers. We're going to talk a little bit about um, farm worker rights and maybe a little bit about uh, our friend Gavin Haircut, too. Uh, we have Elizabeth Strader. How are you doing, Elizabeth? Hey, good, thanks. How are, how are you doing tonight? Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's <laughs> We're recording on Friday night, so I'm, I'm feeling like a lot of relief after like a really kind of stressful couple of weeks so i'm 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 feeling pretty uh relaxed for the first time in some in some time you know uh, that's good starting that weekend yeah you know it's the freaking weekend let's go <laughs> <laughs> so how about you what's going on oh not too much uh let's see we had a pretty good uh pretty rigorous week of like really long policy meetings um you know, not not too much uh, outside of that. Uh, dealt with some uh, state health and safety uh, health and safety folks, and just pretty much uh, rolling into uh, looking forward to the heat really turning up, and then we'll have a whole different kind of heat violations to chase down. So, all in all, uh, never a dull moment in the farmer yeah. movement. Yeah, and you're coming to us live from uh, from Los Angeles or outside of Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm based in Los Angeles. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm based in Los Angeles, but it's a national organization, so yeah. you know, I end up, for, you know, just kind of how these things work out. I end up spending a lot of time on uh, issues that workers are having in the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to you know California, and then of course um, we got a pretty good team in California. The number of folks that look over uh, the issues in the rest of the country are are pretty slim. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you think about, you know, you got maybe what, two, you know, a couple million farm workers in the United States. Um, most of them aren't union members. But, you know, regardless of whether union members or not, the UFW is going to advocate for all of those, you know, two or three million folks. And uh, we have a staff that is about the size of like a busy Applebee's. You know? <laughs> like an olive garden near the airport level of staff. Fully staffed or like shorthanded? Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty. It's it's just really leanly staffed. It's a leanly staffed and leanly resourced organization. So, mm -hmm. um, all all hands on deck. So, yeah, and and United Farm Workers. I mean, if you want to just like sort of run down a little bit of, you know, who it, like just tell us a little bit about uh, UFW and maybe a little bit of the history there. Yeah, sure. For, so for folks uh, in California, um, at, you know, and and maybe to to a point in. Um, in Arizona as well, they're going to know, you know, the United Farm Workers is the country sort of, it's the first, it's the first uh, and oldest uh, ongoing farm worker labor union. Um, it was, you know, founded back in the, in the late sixties uh, by a, a group of different farm worker organizing committees that sort of merged into us and into a, a multi-ethnic, multi-racial, um, you know, diverse uh, single organization because uh, they're getting tired of having uh, having the bosses play them against each other and break strikes, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, uh, the union membership is much declined from where it was. Um, this is an organization that was co-founded, amongst other people, by you know some great names like Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta. So in, uh, in California, it's very much 
a, a part of living memory. And then for, you know, folks my age and older that remember the uh, the great boycotts, the lettuce boycotts, um, you know, they're going to remember uh, that. But, you know, sort of the younger generation, especially when you get um, outside of California, folks aren't necessarily aware. The reason it's remarkable to have a farm worker union and the reason it's such an uphill battle to have a farm worker union is that in most places in the United States, uh, the farm, farm workers don't have a protected right to form a union like other kinds of workers. Right. So when you think they're about not, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, like in the United States, we have what's called the National Labor Relations Act and the corresponding National Labor Relations Board, which essentially is a set of rules by which workers have that they can essentially organize and some things that they can essentially like some resources or some norms that they can have where they would have legal protection when they act in concert with one another and right. workers and you know, this is something right. that it's a little bit different for, for, for public sector workers like me, but 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 these are two sectors that are not covered by NLRA. Right. So and and the you know what we really think about as labor law in this uh in the in this country, the federal labor laws, the two basic, you know, sort of behemoths of federal labor law. Um, they were both passed in the late 1930s. Uh, so that's like Jim Crow era legislation, right? Right. Um, the Fair Labor Standards Act. And the National Labor Relations Act. And so the Fair Labor Standards Act, that's going to be your shit like, sorry, the, the Fair Labor Standards Act, that, that's going to be your stuff like um, uh, minimum wage, child labor laws, uh, overtime, you know, all of this, you know, sort of the, the central pillars of what we think about as labor rights in the United States. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the Fair Labor Standards Act, the, the National Labor Relations Act, which is, you know, the one that gives them the workers the protected right to collective action. You know, I mean, everyone has the right to collective action. They just don't necessarily have the protection that they, you know, can't get fired for. Exactly. It, so. um, <laughs> yeah, you have a lot of rights that you yeah. can't use. There's a lot of stuff you can do. That doesn't mean, you know, that that that, uh, that you're going to have a protected right to do them. So <laughs> right. um, you have a theoretical right to a lot right, of stuff. Exactly. <laughs> so these two basic labor laws are just this, this huge, you know, upswing, uh, you know, related to really basic standards. Um, you know, that keep the kids out of the factories and stuff like that. Um, so at the time and to this day, for a large part, um, there's a couple types of work that are excluded. So the, at the time, um, Southern congressmen uh, on both sides of the aisle would not pass this law if it included agricultural or domestic health. So, you know, house servants um, or, uh, or, or folks that worked in the fields. And, you know, they really weren't, at, at the end of the day, it boils down to like so many things in our country, it boils down to racism, right? So mm -hmm. anything that they had sort of traditionally associated with slavery, um, they weren't going to allow those workers to have these protections. Mm -hmm. So I think it- Or just it, generally it was, not white people. Correct. <laughs> right. Right. So those exclusions extend to this day. Um, in most states, uh, farm workers, ha for instance, have no right to paid overtime. Uh, oh, in wow. most states, uh, farm workers don't have a protected right to collective action. Uh, but at the federal level, there is no, you know, there's this massive exclusion uh, from farm worker, you know, farm workers having some of the most basic rights that the rest of workers take for granted. Mm -hmm. And that stuff goes to stuff like child labor, too. Uh, child labor, it's pretty shocking to people um, that there's a lot of situations where it is legal to hire a nine year old to harvest your tobacco but you can't sell it back to until they're 21. So, mm -hmm. you know, all of these really uh, things that we take for granted, 
uh, as workers, as, as, as folks that are labor advocates, uh, you start talking to farm workers and a lot of what you think you know goes out the window, including National Labor Relations Act, the NLRB, and and the approach to to forming a union is much different. Yeah, I appreciate you setting that up because like the way that you sort of like lay that out was helpful in that. It, it, it's, it shows like different sets of workers that have different sets of rights, essentially, or like different set, sets of ways of executing those rights or exercising them. Mm-hmm. And first off, I, I think of a couple of things. One, and we could maybe talk about these, you know, discreetly, but, but, but one is that like when you have like workers with fewer rights, just generally, um, it seems like that's something that's rife for. Uh, exploitation, abuse, I mean, whatever the word is that's appropriate. It's something that, that these people are sort of like over a barrel in a, in a way that a lot of other workers are. Oh, yeah. But, that are not, rather. And and they can sort of be pushed around in a lot more. Uh, right. Way. Can you so talk about that a little bit? There's a whole uh, confluence of, ish, you know, of reasons that uh, farm workers are more vulnerable, exceedingly vulnerable to, to labor abuse, to, to exploitation than uh, many other workers. The work itself is uh, not only, it's really grueling, it's really low paid, uh, it's exceedingly dangerous. For like, well, just just talking about heat, a farm worker in the United States is 35 times more likely to be killed by heat than any other worker. Yeah, and for the majority of work, you know, very few states have any heat protection standards for outdoor workers. Uh, California's one. We just won uh, some some really basic protections in Washington and Oregon. We're, we're looking to strengthen those. But at the federal level, OSHA has just now, within the past you know couple of months, has entered into into rulemaking for for heat protections. But th- just think about that number as as a level of uh, the level of danger that that's just from heat. That's not talking about falls or amputations or decapitations or mm-hmm. pesticide poisoning or any of these things. It's just heat 35 times more likely. So this work is very difficult. It's very dangerous. No wow. one is choosing to do it. You know, it is by nature of those factors, it, it, it creates um, a workforce that is already a little bit desperate. They don't have a lot of other options. Mm-hmm. Back when those labor laws and those exclusions that we were talking about in the thirties, particularly in the South, that would have been uh, primarily African-American workers. Now we're talking about um, mostly workers that are immigrants, mostly workers that are Hispanic and the majority of workers, although the, the data is difficult to find because by nature it's an invisible workforce, but most of the workers are also undocumented immigrants. You also have, they're working in really deep social isolation. They're also working in geographic isolation. By nature, they're working in places that are uh, remote. They're working in places that are rural and they are far more likely to be migrant uh, moving around the country by the season. So they don't have that community base, that social safety net. They may not speak English. Uh, Some of them may not speak Spanish. They may speak a minority indigenous language, for example, and they're moving from place to place. All of these different ways in which they are extraordinarily unlikely to, first of all, have a firm grasp on what their rights are because they vary from state to state and they're moving from state to state. But they also have, uh, even if they know exactly what their rights are, they're going to be naturally reluctant to engage with a state or federal agency mm-hmm. that probably isn't um, super popular <laughs> in order to uh, report the, the employer that 
uh, is in control of their lives. Right. So there's no guarantees that. What's that? I'm sorry. There's no guarantees that if they do have some kind of like, even if they can go to, you know, some kind of uh, labor entity, even if that, that, that did exist, the fact that they're undocumented means that, oh, wow, you know, we hear that people on our staff are going to, you know, our undocumented staff are going to be, you know, calling in labor violations on us. Uh, Let's just do a couple of ice raids at our own job place. Yeah, and they do it. You know, employers do that. There's been some pretty big, uh, widely publicized cases of that, particularly in in the South, but uh, where the employer realizes that there's some labor unrest and they will participate in a raid uh, that will sweep up all of the workers in a cannery, all of the workers in a, in a packing shed and, 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 and just clear out the facility. And because there is this ongoing economic desperation by some of these, in some of these communities, they are able to offset those losses with a new group of workers that is now more afraid than the workers before them and therefore less likely to hire, uh, you know, a lawyer or less likely to, uh, call a hotline. Yeah. You had a guest on um, recently who talked about the Blooming Onion case, right? Yeah, in in Georgia. Right. That was in Georgia. Um, I I was just sort of thinking about a case in Florida as well. Mm -hmm. So in in, just to quickly recap, that that was a case where these are H-2A visa workers. So these are guest workers. If, you know, folks are older, they might remember the Bracero program. It's it's sort of the attempt at modernizing a, a similar type of program where workers basically have uh, a visa, it's a non-immigrant visa, which means they're not on any kind of path to staying here, but they have a, they have a visa to come in and work for an agricultural employer for mm-hmm. you know a fixed period of time in a seasonal uh, job that they were not able to fill with American citizens. And then, Temporary status, essentially. Temporary status, but mm-hmm. it is conditional to their employer. Not just their employment, but their employer. Which means that these are folks, and and there's all these safeguards created within the H-2A system, theoretically, that they have to uh, pay a certain wage. The wage is set by, uh, it's called the uh, adverse uh, wage effect rate, which is not really to protect the H-2A workers. It's it's to protect the workers that are here in the United States. It makes sure that they pay them a high enough wage that it's not suppressing the wages of the workers that live and work here in the United States year round. So I'm sure that's sufficient to make yeah, yeah, yeah. wages. Yeah. Oh, it's high enough life it. luxury for sure. Yeah. But um, so for the, for these folks, they, you know, they are not only are they, their existence in this country is dependent on their employer. Their hours at work are dependent on the employer uh, they are housed on private property owned or managed by their employer or the farm labor contractor. They Their transportation here and their transportation home, their food, their access to drinking water, their access to a bathroom. And, you know, all of these things are completely dependent on the employer. Yeah, basically and, their, their key to the entire world is through their boss. It's almost like they're their parent or something like that. You oh, know? beyond, beyond yeah. their parent. Uh, so the situation in, in, in Georgia is particularly shocking because the, uh, there was a massive investigation. It was a human trafficking investigation. We're talking about there, you know, the, there was a bunch of federal indictments, uh, workers were being, you know, housed in squalor. They were, they didn't have a- adequate access to food or drinking water. They were just things like they were forced. The wage theft is rampant, but this was unique. Uh, they were 
things like they were forced to harvest onions by hand at gunpoint. Uh, workers were raped. And at, you know, at least two of them died. Just, you can't state how horrible it is. But what is really... At gunpoint? Horrible, at gunpoint. So, and this was in, this was in Georgia. Um, although these joint employers also have operations in Louisiana, uh, Arkansas, North Carolina. But the the government the georgia department of labor has a program the the dol there has a program uh that has farm worker advocates and uh folks that are there to ensure to investigate you know tips or reports on labor abuse to inspect the housing make sure that they you know are, are being housed in a way that's at least dignified for human habitation it's not luxurious Right. The you know things like uh, sounds like they're social workers for children a little bit, right? So two of at least two of uh, these federal indictments for this this trafficking and slavery, uh, forced labor, sexual abuse, all you know everything that you can imagine that is like kind of horrific. Uh, at least two of those federal indictments are tied to people that were currently or formerly employed by the Georgia Department of Labor to be an advocate for farm workers. So when that is about the Gorgeous thing that I could possibly think of, by the way. It, it's it's well, yeah. And there was a case in Florida that I was reading about that um, I actually reached out, and it turns out we actually had had a I actually had a contact with a couple of those workers. But there was a case in Florida where a woman who is pled guilty to racketeering, human trafficking, you know, abusing farm workers uh, that were here on an H two A visa, while she's a, she pled guilty and she's convicted. While she's awaiting sentencing, she asked to leave the district uh, because to work and everyone and the prosecutor, like nobody said no. What was that job? Supervising H2A workers. Oh, my God. Really? So, yes. And she was going to work for a guy who has also previously been convicted of exploiting H2A workers. So the whole H2A system, everything that we know about it, all of these guardrails that are intended, they're like a they're like a snake eating its own tail. Right. Yeah. So. For me, as an advocate, when I, you know when we have H two A workers that are issued, you know that have issues, I can't call the wage and hour division that's local because I don't know them, and right. I don't know if they're going to be any good or not, and I don't know if that's actually going to make the problem worse with these workers. And so we'll get things like you know, you know, you got to make sure that you know the guy at the store where they cash their checks. You got to make sure that you got a you know a, a contact at the food truck. You you got to try to talk to the guys who are driving the uh, the trucks that pick the produce up from the packing sheds, like all of these sort of informal eyes on the ground. Yeah, because you know that is wild. You got to suss out the situation before you can even report human trafficking, because you might just the guy that picks up the phone might be the guy trafficking them. Yeah. So where are you supposed to have faith in this institution, right? Yeah. And I'm almost like thinking to myself, my my brain sort of like goes into a lot of places with this. But like, what's to stop the boss from doing the same thing to try and like, you know, snap up these same people that you're kind of like targeting as well? You know, they can probably like have a company food truck or whatever, or a company, you know, cash, uh, cash, uh, you know, check cashing exactly. Store or yeah. Whatever. Like, yeah. Like, but that's I mean, really but scary when you think about it like that. The the and, and in a in a rural community you're going to kind of have a sense of who's who right yeah but uh, only if you have really good trusted contacts that are embedded in that community so when folks call me in some areas 
I have a real network of folks. Mm -hmm. uh, when folks call, you know, there's other areas where I don't have a real connection with folks and you end up, you know, sort of word of mouthing saying like, hey, do you have people in this area? Like, you know, uh, I got to get someone to LaBelle, Florida and like lay eyes on the situation because I'm not sure you're looking at satellite maps. You're looking for like mm -hmm. the, is there a dollar general nearby? So, mm -hmm. you know, there's this sort of informal network of people that you can sort of word of mouth connect with. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, even, even myself as an advocate, it, it, it varies hugely. And when I'm thinking about Washington state, for example, uh, labor and industries in Washington state is, I, I find them such a responsive agency. And that still doesn't mean I trust every single person on their staff statewide, right. but like, that's a truly responsive agency. I don't have someone like that to call in Florida. I don't have someone like that to call in Georgia. Uh, and, and I wish I did, but you know, mm -hmm. the reality is, is that these people have these enormous existential vulnerabilities. They have these enormous exclusions, these huge deficits in, in, in rights from people, you know, like everybody else. And at the same time, uh, you know, how, how many doctors did I see today? I didn't see any, but I'll tell mm -hmm. you, I ate three times. Right. So I know that essential worker is almost like a joke at this point. Um, infrastructure is almost like a joke. The supply chain, it's like we all of these words have somehow lost their meaning because we've said them so many times. But uh, it, it really doesn't get more essential than that. And, and as far as our food supply in the United States, you know, more than 80% of it is domestic. We're not bringing food in from other places, not, not a significant amount of it. I mean, we're bringing food in from other places, but we're talking about specialty things. Uh, but those real basics, the vast majority of the food that we're eating came from within this country. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that system is, uh, deeply lacking in the level of intervention that, that the rest of workers would take for granted. Right. Yeah. So like, just to put it another way, the food that you eat every single day, listener, uh, is being essentially, it, I mean, I guess technically it, it's not being harvested by slave labor, but it's like right up as close as you possibly can get to that line without it technically being that, I guess you could say. Yeah. And, 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 and clearly some of it is. Yeah. <laughs> some of right. it literally yeah, right. is. So I don't think that's the majority. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I, I don't know how much you, you talk uh, generally with, with your audience about uh, fractured workplaces or subcontractors or ways that employers uh, don't directly employ mm -hmm. folks. So, you, you know, you think about McDonald's, it's very difficult to hold McDonald's responsible because the franchisees are technically Correct. the employer. Uber drivers, uh, the gig economy, all these sorts of things, are, they're not reporting to them as a direct employee. And so there's this disconnect, not only in communication, but in um, accountability for the employer. Right. It's and, like a, like a, like a, you know, jigsaw puzzle. I'll put it all right. together. So when I, when I talk about, um, when I talk about the, you know, the, the employer, I, I'm using that word on purpose. Mm -hmm. That's the employer. That doesn't mean it's the grower, the, the person who owns the tree, the person who owns the earth. Um, that's the grower. They might be the employer. They're probably not. They're probably, um, using some level of, uh, of a farm labor contractor who is recruiting the labor and managing and supervising the labor. And these growers may or may not have any ability to communicate directly with the workers because they don't speak the same language. And so I would like to say 
that, uh, well, these guys, like, how are they supposed to, you know, these people, how are they supposed to, these growers, how are they supposed to know if this is happening at their workplace? But, you know, there's also some definite, like, la, 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 yeah. can't hear you, willful ignorance and that, that level of transparency. So mm -hmm. the employer might be the FLC, the FLC gets debarred from, you know, using the FLC? FLC program, FLC, farm labor contractor. Okay. Or a recruiter. So the contractor, the recruiter, you know, they've registered themselves, their sister-in-law, like the guy down the road as an LLC, as a business. Uh, they get in trouble. They get debarred as an employer. That's fine. They'll just change it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'll just change the name uh, and, and make a new company. So yeah. these growers shirt. ultimately are protected from uh, the accountability. And I know a lot of people think about, you know, the, the American farmer. You know, an American farmer salt of the earth, right? Uh, it's like a guy and he has like a dog and he like looks over his fields and there's like a red barn. Like that's it's like the it's like the founding American myth almost. Absolutely. It's like a man who goes out and like pets his wheat and gazes <laughs> into the sunset. But you know, the reality is increasingly the grower is owned by a private equity firm. Mm-hmm. There's these mega, you know, conglomerates. There's been this increasing amount of consolidation where, you know, is Bill Gates a family farmer? Yeah. Um, He's a small business owner too. Right. But that also makes it harder to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying that a small operation is any is any better or worse. I'm certainly not saying it's any better mm -hmm. than than a large operation. You know, in in some you know cases, you think about certain labor laws, including child labor laws. Uh, very state to state, like I said, but again, if you have very few employees, a lot of really basic labor laws don't apply to you. Even mm -hmm. the ones that do apply to farms, they might not apply to you if it's a small enough operation. Whereas mm -hmm. if you have 500 farm workers, you kind of got to run things better yeah. for the most part. So I, I'm not taking a position on family farming is good. Mega farms are bad, but just, I know oh. there's a ton of ability to humanize the farmer but in yeah. some cases, a farmer is like a private equity firm. So, <laughs> right. I, I think that that one thing that we can sort of take away from that, you know, what you're putting forward there is that there is a system in place that does not take into account. Oh, it, it does not take into account the people who are uh, who are essentially harvesting all of the food that we eat in this country. Yeah. And yeah. all the food that we yeah. export as well, which is I don't know how much that is, but. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, a lot of the stuff that we export is, is, is commodity crops and things like that. But mm. um, at the end of the day, thinking about the way that the whole system is set up, mm -hmm. the H2A system is coming in to fill the gaps that should be created by it being a terrible job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've talked a lot about like a labor shortage. And, and the reality is, is that there's a shortage of employers that are willing to pay a living wage. Correct. And their inability to have enough staff to keep their businesses running is essentially the fair market uh, mm -hmm. force of, of forcing them to raise their wages, forcing them to, to provide a better job. But if you can, you know, go online and order a few from, you know, a few from Mexico, a few from Jamaica, and you're in total control of those people's lives so they can't leave and quit, right. they literally can't, then... 
you know, it, it's they're gaming the system. You're able way. to depress wages by yeah. doing that. You're able yeah. to depress wages. And then at the same time, while you're doing that, you can complain about, oh, we can't get Americans to do it because we pay so little. So we have to like literally import right. people and put them in an absolutely appalling situation and yeah. an inhuman situation. And um, and and force them to do it at gunpoint in some situations. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you get a little bit sometimes when you're really immersed in the stuff, you get a little bit desensitized. And there was a point in which I was having a conversation with someone who's not used to this. uh, I'm really fun at parties, by the way. Um, (laughs) Not used to this conversation, and you know, she said, "I just want to say that's the third time that you've said that." Fled their employer. They escaped. They escaped their job and fled that's that's so disturbing it and is. i'm like ah that's really is a way to think about it isn't You're right it? about that it is very disturbing that's isn't really it? that's you know it, that's right up there with uh earn a living you know yeah. <laughs> so uh these phrases that you get sort of numb to but no it, it is it's like a hostage situation in some of these uh you know worst case scenarios and in the best case scenario it's still a boss that has way too much we have to think about the ways to to disrupt those levels of power and control that these that these employers have. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think it's a really comprehensive conversation to be had. It's one that the you know the current administration is certainly more open to than the previous administration at the federal level, but um, still, yeah, um, you know. At least we're getting like lip service and like some policy <laughs> as opposed to right. actively hostile policy or our policy that benefits specifically That's these, right. these these contractors or whatever that that yeah. um, that that disempower workers in the name of you know ma- generating more capital. Yeah. No. Uh, absolutely. And then so sort of sort of outside the H two A system, when you think about folks like you uh, living in. Arizona, in Florida, in California, uh, to a point in Washington state, these are some of our uh, agricultural mega mega powers in, in terms of state to state. And in, uh, in California, we, they, farmers do have a system, um, it's called the Agricultural Labor Relations Board. So it's the ALRB as opposed to the NLRB. So back to that point where farmers are excluded from these protected rights from, from union organizing, California mm-hmm. is uh, you know, since the 1970s, as a result of uh, UFW's relentless organizing and boycotting and and, and all these sorts of things, was um, able to pass a law in California in the 70s that uh, created this Agricultural Labor Relations Board, where farm workers did have this protected right to concerted action, that they do have a board to appeal to, um, hold a union election, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. However, those law that law, the way that the farm workers vote has not evolved, which means you know, still we're talking about farm workers are going to vote in a union election. Their only choice to vote is at the work site where their boss is watching them. And it's literally under the eye of the boss, the supervisor who's keeping track of who voted, which has so inappropriate effect. Uh Right. And, uh, you know, one of my worker leaders was telling me, it's like, it's like going to Trump Tower to vote for Biden. <laughs> and I was like, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, I think it's worse than that, though. <laughs> oh, it, 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 it so, is. Yeah. And um, so UFW for a couple of years, United Farm Workers, my employer, for a couple of years has put been working on a bill to modernize some of those voting choices. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you think about the way that we vote in our 
regular elections, we have these different types of votings. I know those things are also under attack, but you know, you do have your options of your Dropbox, of your vote by mail, um, these various types, the early voting and all these sorts of things. But um, to make sure that people have uh, a reasonable access to the democratic process. Mm-hmm. So in California, this bill, um, last year was called AB 616. Uh, this year it's uh, AB 2183. And this is, California specific, but looking to let farm workers have choices in the ways that they vote, like other people do when they engage in the democratic process, right? Mm-hmm. These same farm workers, they, um, you know, we had a pretty high level of engagement for volunteers from our worker leaders to go out and do GOTV, knock on doors, do a bunch of canvassing to protect Gavin Newsom from the recall. Oh boy, uh-huh. the haircut guy. Gavin Haircut Newsom. <laughs> and you know, farmers really t- turned out for Gavin Newsom, making sure everybody knew that they could vote at their Dropbox, they can vote by mail, gotta get that in. Wow. We don't want the other guy, whatever. I'm, I'm sure he returned the favor, right? Oh, haha. So we passed the bill, we put this bill forward, the Agricultural Voting Choice Act. Uh, we, we passed the bill passes, uh, you know, with broad support through the California legislature. It's headed for the governor's desk. We don't hear anything. Try to have a meeting with them. We don't hear anything. Then we start marching because that's one thing farm workers will do. They will march. And it was hot. And it is, you know, we're, we're talking like a, like a 20 day across California in August, you know, these really like uh, 600 miles got to be covered and stuff like that. These historic marches along that's, the historic. It, that's an insane like amount that. of territory, by the way. Seven hours in to the uh, to the march on the first day, with never calling us, the governor vetoed it. I mean, like, there's no exp- there's no like reasonable or acceptable excuse for this. But like, what was the thing that he put forward? I guess you could say, like, what's what's his sort of justification for this like obvious betrayal right so his he said he had some concerns about the legislative language that it was too vague or not protective or or whatever i mean but it has been the champion of this bill the author of this bill very highly regarded mm-hmm. uh someone who it wasn't like amateurs wrote this bill right Right. And, uh, you know, what I say is uh, what we did is we picked up the, you know, we picked up the phone, got the shock of our lives and then Mm -hmm. began to scramble and relocated the workers on a march towards Plump Jack Winery, which is owned uh, and was founded by Gavin Newsom. Oh, so. you know, as as a as an internet cat said to a California newspaper, because these are the times we're living in. Yeah. Uh, I think that, <laughs> hey, that that cat is getting written written up in the Wall Street Journal. That cat. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm here for it. I'm here for it because you can't. No, nobody can avoid being uh, shamed by a cat. You know, the cat's gonna do what they're gonna do. But you know, as the cat said, which I thought was a very good way of putting it, I think that he owns a vineyard that employs the workers that pick the grapes that build the wealth that pay for his haircuts. So, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, the guys, are, the guys are freaking boss. Yeah. You know, 
And his money comes from the places that farm workers will never reach. Mm-hmm. He is supported by the elites. I know that California has this. Uh, California, right? Oh, yeah. Like California is such a such a progressive place. But when you have this sense of safety in your blue state existence, mm-hmm. what you end up having is a lot of mediocre Democrats who don't think they have to freaking prove it. Yeah. And what they, you know, they're basically about, like riding on reputation or, or not even reputation, but like perception. Yeah. Yeah. And without any sort of viable challenger towards a Democratic governor, it's difficult to disrupt his power, you know? And when you have these really safe blue states, sometimes it's really difficult to, to, to pass truly progressive uh, legislation because you're going to stay in the safe zone. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but when I think about, well, I should be careful, but there's a number of California Democrats that when I think about them, I'm not thinking about progressives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're thinking about people who are sort of like, okay, maybe I don't want to speak for you, but I'm thinking about people. Tell me about people you're thinking about. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about people who are beholden to the same people that like a lot of the conservative um, folks are, um, are, are beholden to in a financial sense in a in an economic sense uh they get their you know campaign contributions in their uh entire um entire career and even their their own selves are a part of the class the elite class that uh that, that creates these problems that we're discussing yeah. people like you know diane feinstein nancy pelosi um people who have essentially who are the elite they just I mean, they they call themselves Democrats and they have like slightly better social politics in some situations where they're like, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Nancy Pelosi kneeling in the kente cloth um, mm. uh, like right after the George Floyd uh, protests in the streets. And then yeah. like essentially the Democratic Party after the last election, like deciding that actually like the reason that we lost was because of. Uh, people saying defund the police or whatever, which is completely yeah. and utterly made up. But, but like those kinds of people, much, are what I'm thinking about. How much do Democrats put energy into um, defending people like uh, Cuellar in Texas yeah. against the the threat of a progressive candidate like Jessica Cisneros, who, by the way, the United Farm Workers has endorsed. Um, nice. But um, thinking she's in about, Texas, I believe she's in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And he's being investigated by the FBI. And that being said, it's very curious to think about all of the people that have endorsed him from the Democratic Party, these sort of mainstream folks. Uh, and we've spent, you know, my opinions are my own and I am not representing the opinions of my employer. Sure. But, you know, you're thinking about the uh, tremendous amount of, of uh, campaign energy and resources that we're spending defending ourselves mm-hmm. against... <sighs> People that would do a better job. Right. Yeah. So like, it's almost like um, if you remember, um, and this is going to get maybe a little bit away from where we're at, but I, I think about people like um, like like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and um, 
and uh, Alan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, right? Now, yeah. one of the cool things, and I say this, people are probably sick of me hearing this, right? <laughs> I I say this all the time. Um, if I, I remember that, um, actually, our friend Diana, um, she was um, she's you know a huge supporter of the uh, Coffee with Comrades Union um, mm-hmm. up in Detroit, and right. Rashida Tlaib. Uh, showed up literally in support of the workers up there. There was Teamsters that were on strike uh, up in New York, and AOC was out there giving out food. And she's recently appeared with Amazon Labor Union folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> there's also that like I- iconic image of of um, of Ilan Omar like driving the giant Teamsters truck. Like yes. these people are literally on the side of workers. But like if you remember um, at the beginning, like right when, like right after. Uh, uh, AOC had been elected and like they had just the first pill, bill that the um, Democrats passed was the, the voting rights one. Right. And mm-hmm. they completely and utterly like buried that story because the Democrats were so busy attacking Ilan Omar for like what like right wing people were saying was an anti-Semitic tweet you right. know, about, about right. Ilan Omar. And they literally right. like censured her. Like at the exact same time, they're trying to pass this voting rights bill. So, yeah. like, you look at like what's prioritized by them, and it's it's very, very like it's extremely frustrating, I guess you could say. And it makes it makes me feel kind of black pilled in terms of like electoral prospects, at least in the short term. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, our, I think we all, whenever oh. we start to feel black pilled, we got to go down ballot. We got to get smaller and smaller yeah. and closer and closer. It doesn't have to be closer to your house. You might get really mm-hmm. invested. In a down ballot, you know, election that's happening, you know, in a state that you don't even live in, but uh, we got to go down ballot because where we are down ballot is it's a prediction, right? So you know, yeah. I know there's the uh, <laughs> there's this great meme which is I would say caption this and it's like a a, a mushroom cloud that's covering half of the earth, yeah, and uh, you know, it's saying what would you do? And the meme is vote blue, <laughs> no matter who. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. um, you know, and it does feel that way. But the, but the reality is, is that I'm not saying vote blue no matter who. I'm just saying like don't give up on the process. Don't yeah. give up on the process. Yeah, you got to yeah, think yeah. about who the people are that are, are are close and nearby. And I mean, I can tell you the uh, well, actually, I can't tell you, but I'll promise you that there are in in most states there are folks in this in the at, at the county and 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 city and uh state level especially who are never going to be the ones that are leading the rah 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 in mm-hmm. terms of a super progressive thing uh because they're living in a purple or red county but um but that are going to really show up, are going to really whip a vote, are going to really show up for someone like a farm worker. They're really going to show up for undocumented folks. They're really going to show up, uh, you know, for folks who are being forced at gunpoint to harvest onions in their, with their bare hands. Yeah. But you, you can't say the same uh, on the other side of the aisle. And yeah, that, lead, that, that being like... said, you mm-hmm. know, let's, uh, let's, let's make that, Let's, let's hold some of our own accountable and, mm-hmm. and, and stop spending so much, you know, I, I'm, I'm so sick of the Democratic Party spending so much of their resources mm-hmm. defending the establishment from the progressives. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and just to your point, the thing that I was going to say that I, I, I kind of like got so wound up or forgot to that, like, 
you know, you got AOC and, and these folks showing up at picket lines. I live in Steve Scalise's district. If he mm. showed up to a picket line, he'd be on the side of the cops. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, for that's sure. straight up. I mean, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah. So, like, He'd be like, I am, a, I am an unofficial Pinkerton for the day. <laughs> you know, who who may I whip with chains? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who but, do I point this gun at? Yeah. <laughs> Where do I shoot the pepper spray in the, in the tear gas? Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. I, 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 I do a lot of work in endorsements, both for, uh, in a volunteer capacity. Sure. And, um, you know, not as a profession, but in a volunteer capacity. And, and, and one of my favorite, uh, question and answer moments is when I say, where are your other endorsements at? Um, do you have labor endorsements? Yeah. And then they'll answer. Yeah. I got a cop union. Oh, no. And I'm like, mm. Thank you for I'm making like, this easy. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't brag about that. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's a tough one. But like real, real workers. Yeah. Do you have any workers <laughs> whose no. labor has, you know, a labor organization has endorsed you? But uh, yeah, so it is funny. They're not always big, uh, news, newsmakers. Uh, it's, it's interesting to talk to, uh, our mutual friend, Diana, the, yeah. she works for we love Diana. Don't we, folks? let's just talk about how much we love Diana. Let's just talk about how much we love Diana. Um, but she represents, uh, hospitality workers, <laughs> which includes the cafeteria workers, uh, on Capitol Hill. And, I, I mean, I want to know who the cafeteria workers say is their favorite. I want to know not only the ones that like show up to their picket or whatever, but I want to know the ones who are nice to them. I want to know the ones who treat them like a person mm -hmm. because I feel like uh, there might not be as much of a partisan split on that as there should be. Yeah. And uh, let's, let's, let's see where their, where their money and their mouth is. Right. So mm -hmm. I hear you a hundred percent. I mean, yep. like, there, there's, I've, I've, I've certainly had some frustration, at least in my own, like, in my own experience with like internal democracy within my own union. And in like, not to say that, that things are like horrible or, or whatever, but, but that there are definitely ways that I think that members could be more engaged and more involved that, that, um, that are not taken advantage of, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw a post on, I'm getting a little off topic from farm workers, but uh, I saw a post on Reddit the other night uh, that was like, I'm, I was like a MAGA Trump guy. Like I, I have been deeply, deeply read conservative for my whole life. He's a working class guy. And, um, you know, the, the, the subreddit anti-work. Oh yeah. Uh, he's just like, if at the end of the day, once I took a step back, it seemed like, I don't agree with half the shit Democrats do, if not three quarters of it. But if I take a step back, their platforms and their policies all seem to be, how do we help people? Right. It's best for everyone. And, and the, and the Republican platforms all seem to be, how do I do nothing for anyone except myself? Yeah. And you know, how do we sort of, he's just like, it, it, it I felt distressed from the guy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it must be hard. It must be hard to sort of like uh, question everything you've ever known. Yeah, but, and, and when it dawns on you, the best option that you have, at least when it comes to voting, is the Democrats. It's like, yeah, kind of. 
But I mean, I don't know where he lives or anything. Maybe he even, he even said it, but he was, he was a blue collar guy. And he was just like the fact that the, um, you know, conservative at this point is anti-union. Like, I just don't understand how they could think that they're the working class party and like paint mm-hmm. the Democrats as these elites when they like are clearly trying to crush these unions, you know, yeah. and Starbucks getting targeted by the right for like being woke and like having a pronoun pin or not their cups don't say Jesus Christmas or whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, yeah, they might have a land acknowledgement. They might have a sign language interpreter. Mm-hmm. They're still union busting, right? Mm-hmm. They're just another boss. Right. So I think everyone's having this moment of this sort of this, this labor uprising of this working class uprising. I think everyone's having this moment of, of an existential crisis. And, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, I wonder if the chips are going to fall along the class lines differently than they are going to fall across the partisan lines. Right. You know, I think that you... they. I think that. I can only hope that they do. I guess you could say because, like, the other, the other, the alternative is if it falls along the the the, the partisan lines, is that we're going to get more of the same until it gets bad enough to the point where, you know, it's. To the point where, like, we're really, really screwed. Like, things yeah. will just get worse. It'll be more. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation along the lines of, but do you realize how many young Latino voters there are? Mm-hmm. And the other person will say, but they don't vote. And I will say, why should they? Yeah. What has been delivered to them that jumpstarts any kind of cycle of accountability? Who has been elected that answers to them and has delivered anything that they care about? Yeah. And, you know, why should it hurts? It hurts to go out and knock on doors and, and try to convince people to vote for, you know, in a lot of cases for folks that have not done anything for them. Right. I mean, like, like, like and I think another, like a part of just since we're on this sort of point, like thinking about this, like like Obama had this image when he came in, right? He had this image of being like, and it was completely undeserved, but it was like it's the image that he was going to be like the most progressiveest progressive person that ever progressive, right? Yeah. And then he comes in and he does more of the same, maybe like you know one degree on the you know on the captain's wheel slightly, you know towards you know something, but mm-hmm. it's really kind of more of the same type stuff. Like and that kind of disappointment that was um, kind of like put on young people um, who are now not, not no longer young. I'm thinking about myself. Yeah. Um, like that level of disappointment, and I was never an Obama guy, really, to be totally clear. But like I've seen it in people, like they they were like true believers that this is something that's gonna like actually be something that represents them. They get kicked in the teeth, and then like what what. <laughs> they're not buying it again. They're not going to buy the same BS over and over again. They're not stupid. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's also a disconnect sometimes in super progressive advocates Mm -hmm. that talk about, Oh, DACA. Great. Like DACA. Mm -hmm. Like now these, this is a whole generation of people that are in limbo. I mean, I'm talking about myself to a point as Mm -hmm. well. Um, You talk about some of the compromises that were talked about in bills that honestly ended up never passing in this current administration Mm -hmm. But, 
you know, you, you, you talk to workers that are, you know, you talk to folks that are the most directly impacted by what would it mean to you if you had legal status here, which meant that you could go home and visit your family for the first time in 20 years. To me, that right. doesn't sound like much. It's not a green card. Uh, you know, their, their legal status that they would, their, you know, legal status is dependent on their continuing to work in agriculture, which feels indentured and things like that. This is, these are tough, tough com compromises. We're talking mm -hmm. about the um, this is a piece of legislation that passed the House, but stalled in the Senate, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. Mm -hmm. But, you know, our, our, our natural allies on the left are saying to us, like, how could you engage with this kind of thing for such a, a, a measly whatever, mm -hmm. you know? And the answer is, is because. It's better than nothing. They're telling me. Yeah. Do you know what it would mean to me to see my mom before she died? Correct. I have kids in Mexico that I haven't seen since they were babies and they're 16 now. You know, yeah. these are people that are telling me this would make a huge difference in my life. And these are the people that are the most affected. And so, yeah, there's going to be people on uh, on the left that are going to criticize some of these some of these things. But like, OK, what do you have that you can deliver? Right. right this is right. a piece of legislation that was that was, uh, you know, that was uh, supported by both Devin Nunez and AOC. You know, I understand compromise. I understand being pragmatic. Yeah, but at the yeah. end of the day, you can't expect people to get up and vote for someone that has not delivered, whether it's progressive or not. If they haven't delivered, why would they vote for you? Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you're thinking about these folks that have these, their parents are still undocumented. They still can't go and see their grandparents. Uh, they're, they have crippling amounts of student debt. Uh, they're never going to rise above, you know, a certain a certain level. And like, why 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 would they vote? Their parents can't vote. Why would they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and 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 again, if people don't feel that it's going to change anything anyway, like, why bother investing your time into that when you can watch whatever's on TV or whatever? You can like scroll Reddit or Twitter or yeah. Or you know, God forbid something worse, but yeah, people TV are choosing is, to do that too. It's more entertaining and, and yeah. Twitter and, and Reddit is more relatable. Right. Uh, which is know, why, like, which is sort of like the theory that I kind of have of like why Trump was like the guy he was so popular was because, well, he was the, you know, he was the most television like person that was out there. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. just the reality. Yeah. And I mean, there was a, I would say, I mean, he didn't do well in the debates, but uh, uh, Trump, but uh, there was one woman where he said, uh, you know, somebody saying, uh, you know, babies in cages. And he answers correctly. Who built the cages? Yeah. I mean, who built the cages? yeah, it's, again, there's the, the, the thing that we talked about earlier with, um, you know, a lot of people who are Democrats doing the exact same thing as, 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 you know, they claim that the Republicans are doing or whatever, mm -hmm. but they're just sort of like trying to kind of hide their hand. And the, the difference is that, you know, yeah. there's a little bit of, at least the, at least the Republicans are authentic in their, you know, barbarity and horribleness, I guess you yeah. could say. And there's, yeah. some, there's some people can like at least yeah respond positively to that genuineness, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Like but as the, horrible I mean, as that sounds, you know, as much as you wanted to feed them all the, you know, the, the, the modern Republican party, uh, it, it's, it's not enough to have someone to vote against. Right. You know, we got to run folks, uh, that are good enough to vote for, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> how many votes can you vote against someone before you're just going to be like, uh, give me someone worth voting for. Uh, Cause it's just a race to see how bad Republicans can get. Cause you're like, fine, whoever. 
Yeah. Just not that guy. There's not Bernie, like, apparently. Well, we can do better than that, you know? Yeah. I think we found the line with Bernie. He was like, no, nope, can't make that happen. No. <laughs> absolutely um, must. We absolutely must stop that at all costs. <laughs> right? And that's where we're spending, that's where the Democratic Party is like, oh, you know who the real issue is? Uh, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Warren is the problem. Sure. Yeah. Like, she's too radical. She's too much of a radical Democrat when she was a Republican in the '80s or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, like that's a, that's probably unfair shot or whatever. But like, at least she had a plan. She yeah. had a plan. <laughs> and, and, but and at she, the end of the day, I think yeah. that there were people in this country that it was they weren't confident that people hated Trump more than they hate women. <laughs> right. Right. And and or or at least that will like step up and and do the defensive thing once again you know yeah people, people are just tired of doing that and they're i don't know i i don't agree with <laughs> i don't agree with not i mean i'm i'm kind of like a, a you know serial like i can't help myself i go vote for dog catcher you know but like <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that it's like no this is really bad and it's you know something you have to kind of deal with you know you have to suck it up and choke it down you know as much yeah. as it yeah. But anyway, here's to a few, uh, you know, as Dolores Huerta coined, uh, si se puede. It is possible. It is possible. We can do it. Yeah, um, so it can be done. And the more that people, you know, I saw a photo of Dolores Huerta and uh, Chris Smalls from the Amazon labor. Union. Yeah, that was dope. And I was just like, dang, you know, we're talking about a, a, a massive uh, generation gap for sure, but they're both people that were told that is a thing that whatever you think you can do, that's impossible. Nobody yeah. can do that. And they both pounded on the table and said, Yes, I can. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was like skeptical of some of the stuff that ALU was doing at the time, plowing at 30%. But like, and, 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 and we, I guess we can close on this point. But like, um, you know, as soon as they win, and as soon as they like literally organize a union at Amazon, mm -hmm. no matter what you disagree with or whatever, yeah, like, you got to defend them to the death. Like that is the most awesome thing. It's like just, off, it's, it's mega so props. awesome. Yeah, and but I'm not sure anyone can sure understand them better than Laura's Huerta and uh, someone who did the impossible that said, you know, even the established labor movement was is that's impossible. Yeah. And uh, they did it without uh, external solidarity. They built their own solidarity, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 they freaking won. So, mm -hmm. so there they are. Yeah, they earned it. Well, anyway, anything you want to say on the way out? Maybe we can have you back on next time. Maybe talk a little bit about Caesar and 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 Dolores. And, yeah. And some you have to be history uh, if, if that's your wheelhouse, really. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Um, uh -huh. That'd be great. Uh, I would say if 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 uh, there's a lot of consumers in this country that think that they know what kind of food is healthy for them based on their blood type, but they have no idea what it actually takes to get that food on your plate. Um, if you want to find um, every single day uh, on our social media accounts, you're going to see a farm worker. You're going to see what their job is. You're going to learn about stuff like how hot was it or what piece rate are they paid because they're not earning minimum wage. Um, uh, but you're, you're, you're going to humanize that labor. That's going to be at UFW updates, mm -hmm. uh, either on Instagram or on Twitter. So we're also on Facebook, but, uh, you know, 
Facebook. So yeah. you have you have w updates that's uh that's 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 us on on twitter or instagram so if you want to learn a little bit more about the work behind your food that's where a place where you can go and find it thank you so much elizabeth Pleasure. Uh, really really awesome to have you on Pleasure uh, as always. yep happy yeah. anytime totally and thank you for listening this has been whiv lp new orleans 102.3 this is good morning comrades we love you goodbye Hola, 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 hola,